Well, here we are, another Sunday. Good to see you. And uh, welcome to Mosaic Service, the pandemic series of services. I'll be sure glad when we can all get back together here at the church. But until then, uh, this is wonderful technology. Very thankful to God that we have it. And uh, and it's so wonderful because uh, people are able to send these messages. So many pastors I'm talking to are having their uh, people just send them out to friends and relatives. And it's amazing how the gospel is spreading through this. You would think it would actually be a hindrance to the gospel, but it's not. It's actually spreading the gospel. And uh, it's really kind of exciting what's, uh, what's going on. But sure would like to have you here. I'll tell you that. I sure would like to have you right here with me. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to open with some prayer. And uh, Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being together. We thank you that you are here with us by your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that, Lord, you would come and illuminate your word. Do, Father, what only your Holy Spirit can do, which is to take this from some words on a page uh, from the Bible to living and changing power in our life. Father, that's what I pray. And I pray you come and do that this morning. Cause us to see you more clearly. Cause us to have an intimacy with you through this. And to also help us as we try to walk in a time that is unprecedented, Father. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Last week, of course, we uh, talked about uh, the horrific situation that had happened in here in Nova Scotia. And... um, Uh, The week before that, we had talked about the signs of the times, and we were going to look at Matthew 25, which comes from Matthew 24. Yes, 24, 25. (laughs) That's the way that works. I think I should know that. But anyway, in in Matthew 24, it had, Jesus had given the disciples a whole bunch of different signs of the times, and, and specifically signs of his second coming and signs of the end of the age, the end times. And as we looked at those end-time situations, uh, we are able to say that as we stand here in the year 2020, we are sitting in the greatest time of biblical fulfillment, prophecy fulfillment, I think that the world's ever seen outside of the actual appearance of Christ. And the amount of prophetic uh, things that are being fulfilled right now is amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. So Jesus was telling them to uh, have a look at these things, and if you see them, then you should get ready. And then in Matthew 25, he actually tells us stuff that we need to be doing. He tells us what the church will look like at that time, and he gives us uh, some negatives and some positives. But in all of it, he's saying, this is what you need to do if you're living in This time, when all these signs and wonders are starting to be fulfilled, and that is the time that you and I are living in right now, that you really need to take a look at Matthew 25, because it tells us some startling things about the way the church is going to be and the way it should be. So we start in Matthew 25, verse 1, and the first parable, there's three stories that Jesus tells in chapter 25, and the first one is about the ten bridesmaids. And I'm just going to read it, and uh, we'll just take some gems out of it as we read it. Then, meaning when all these signs and wonders are happening, 
Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So what this tells us right here is that this is talking about the church. This is not saying the general public. This is talking about the church. And it's saying that at this time, the church is going to be waiting for the, uh, for the groom to come. And for 2,000 years, the church has been waiting for Jesus to return. Paul thought it was going to happen in his day. And if you read some of the New Testament letters, there was a very strong sense that Jesus could have come back at any time. But here we are 2,000 years later, and the difference is we have some significant prophecies fulfilled. Like I was saying earlier, significant. I wish I could just start reaming them all off, but there's so many that we really do need at this time to start looking at Matthew 25 and show us where the church is. So the church is waiting for Jesus to return, and Jesus is using these metaphors and these pictures to represent that. So it's talking about the church. He's speaking this message to the church, and he's definitely talking about end times because they are going out to meet the bridegroom. So they are expecting him at any time. So Jesus is saying there is this expectation in the air that the bridegroom is coming soon. And I don't know, I've been walking in my faith for 40 years, and there has been a continual escalation in the expectation of Christ's return. But as we have been having prayer meetings in this church for the last two years, very serious and and committed and fervent prayer meetings, it has been so clearly uh, impressed on us that something is about to happen, that we are very close, and we've even had prophecies of people standing up in the Spirit saying, I am coming quickly. I am coming soon. You've heard them. We've all heard them. And that definitely is the time. So Jesus is talking to the church who is in an end-time position waiting for the bridegroom. So five of them were foolish. Five of these bridesmaids were foolish, means they didn't have wisdom. They were not working with the information they had, doing what they knew they should have been doing. They were just not getting it. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And then in verse 6, it says something very interesting. I mean, falling asleep wasn't the problem here. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, and people have been, you know, going in and out of expectation for the return of Christ. We are at a very heightened point in that waiting right now. But in verse 6, at midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. So what this again is telling us, and it's kind of the theme of this parable, is that it's going to happen when we least expect it. Now, what's very interesting is that Jesus gave us some very distinct signs. Not the exact day, because Jesus didn't even know the exact day. And if you have some person out there saying they know the day and all that kind of stuff, and we've heard them, you just kind of, woo-woo, okay. Uh, if Jesus didn't know, I don't think you know. Uh, but 
he does give us these signs and he gives us the general timing of it. And he's saying, be ready. Because all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is going to appear. So he's telling us, you, you need to be ready. And it's going to come with a shout, which is very interesting too. Very much a shout. It's going to happen when we least expect it. So all the bridesmaids get up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones ask the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Interesting. There's obviously more to this than lamps and oil. Jesus is talking about something, something else here. Some lamps will go out during the end times. And these lamps obviously represent something very special. That this fire that is burning represents something very special about the relationship between the church, these bridesmaids, you and I, and Christ. And what he's saying is that some people here during this end time period are going to get to a situation where their flame, their faith, is going to go out. It's not going to have what it needs to be sustained through the difficult time. That's what the oil, the oil sustains the flame. The oil sustains the faith. That what they need to sustain them through this end time period they're actually going to run out of. And it says they're going to run out of it because they were foolish. They didn't read the signs of the times. Maybe they didn't take to heart all that they had learned. Whatever it is, they did not do the due diligence. They did not take their faith serious enough that the oil that was needed to keep it going, they did not acquire. And that is a very interesting thought. Because let me tell you, there are many things yet to happen. If Matthew 24 was correct, which I think it was, that we are living in that that era, we are living in that generation, that there are a series of things that are going to be happening. We know from the book of Revelation, we know from Daniel, we know from Ezekiel, we know from the minor prophets, we know from the New Testament that there are going to be a series of difficulties, a series of things come on the earth that are going to be very challenging. And I should dare say it's going to catch some Christians off guard in the sense that they're going to say, I I didn't know it could get this bad. I didn't know that it would cost me this much. I didn't know that I would be in this level of not knowing and not understanding what's going on and not being able to have the faith and the trust inside of them to hold them up during this time. The flame goes out. There are going to be people say that, you know what, I never signed up for this. I don't know how God's in this, I can't see God in this, and I don't believe God acts like this, and and I can't believe he's letting this happen, and I can't believe that this is going on. And you've heard that when people have seen catastrophes around the world, and they say, well, if there's a God, why is he allowing this to happen? And we could have a whole discussion about that, and about people dying in situations. Well, if God's a loving God, why is he allowing that to happen. That's not what I want to talk about today. But you can see how when difficulties come, it challenges people's understanding of God. It challenges our understanding of God. I mean, uh, I'm looking around and I'm seeing what's happening. 
Ah, I mean, and God even told us in November that he was going to do something, that something was going to come that was going to shake the whole globe. And here we are in the middle of it, and you just kind of, okay, we just are walking in trust here. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming down the road. But I am trusting that God is going to walk with us down that road. Whatever's coming, he's going to walk with us in it. And as we have taken the time to, to seek him, to learn about him, to understand about him, to seek him in prayer, to seek him in Bible study, to seek him in church, to have that faith-building uh, discipline in your life, well, that's storing up oil for the tough times. And it's through, I remember, you know, I think of the times that I've been at prayer meetings or gone to conferences and have been in very, very intense spiritual uh, situations. I've had two circumstances in my life, one in 1994 and one uh, in November of 2018. Uh, that, and I've told many of you about these, so I'm not going to repeat them. But in both cases, I was put into a situation that for six hours, I was in what we call in the church community, in the charismatic community, the Shekinah presence of God. Another way of, of uh, explaining it is it is just a place of bliss. I, I wish I could, um, I could explain to you that for six hours I was unable to really even walk in some cases because the, the power of God was so strong and the peace and the sense of love and the sense that Man, God is real, and God is good. And those experiences, they came because I was seeking. I was at a prayer meeting, and we had been at these prayer meetings for a year, and all of a sudden God shows up in this dramatic way. It was because I was praying and fasting, and I was going through those tough disciplines that all of a sudden you know, God shows up in these miraculous ways. I flew to Toronto to go to the conference and spent the money and put the time in, and God met me in these places. There is some work to it. There is some work to getting oil in our lamps. It just doesn't, we just don't say, oh, Jesus, uh, he's a great guy, and uh, I want to follow you, Jesus, and uh, I'll, I'll get around to that, and I'll just uh, come to church and do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and hope it all works out. No. That is not going to get us through the end times. That is not going to get us through what is coming on the world in the next decades. And I don't want to fear monger. Like I, I don't want you know. But I do believe that part of the church's responsibility is to let people know that, oh, by the way, we've been given a book called the Bible, and it's given us some really, really good information about what things are going to look like and how we should behaving, uh, be behaving and how we should be living and, and in, for Christians, what our Christianity should look like and how it should be uh, behaving. And, and God gave that to us, not only that we could be saved and we could be alerted, but that we could go and tell people with love and gentleness and compassion that, oh, by the way, here's what's happening. Because I think people want to know what's happening right now. And we don't have specific answers, and we don't have the big medical answers, and we don't know what's going to happen with the economy. But we do know that Jesus said these are signs of a time that we 
should be looking at, and they are a time that tells us that the world is in for a very big change, even the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, they were not ready for the conditions of the end times. These foolish bridesmaids were not ready. And God is saying to us, are you ready? Are you ready? If Jesus was to come tomorrow, do you really feel that you're ready? It's a powerful thing. I mean, I would like to uh, say nice and easy things, but Jesus didn't always say nice and easy things. He said some very challenging things, some very demanding things that we need to really sit up and, and listen. It's time to put our big boy church pants on here and, uh, and start looking at some more serious and demanding parts of Scripture. Verse 9, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. And there it is again. Go and buy some. This thing costs something. Whatever this oil is, and there's tons of sermons out there about what the oil is, and there's, you know, and they're all good in their own way and and stuff, and I didn't listen to any of them because I didn't want to be an echo. I want to give you what I feel God is saying to us at Mosaic. But the fact is, there's all kinds of ideas about what the oil is. But whatever it is, it costs something to get it. You have to go somewhere, purchase it, and you have to pay money. Now, those are metaphors, right? You're not going to buy Jesus. But there definitely is a cost to being filled by the Holy Spirit and to, be, to walk in that fullness of spirit. It costs something to have a relationship with God that when the tough times come and when the real difficulties come, you don't crumble. And you don't say, God, I don't understand, therefore I cannot believe. There's going to be an awful lot that we cannot understand. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to go through, go through things, as Christians, that they just don't understand. You've gone through things. You know people who have gone through things. We look at missionaries on mission fields where their children, you know, uh, succumb to diseases and illnesses and die, and you go, they're, they're sent to the mission field and their child dies? You better be connected with God. You better have some oil in your lamp when that stuff starts happening. And do they understand it? No, it doesn't make any sense on, on our natural level. But what's beautiful about stuff like that is God says that life will come from death. And I don't belittle the pain and the agony and the remorse of losing someone or having someone close to you die. It is, uh, at times, it is a bone-crushing and life-changing experience that some people just never come out of. But God did say that out of death will come life. And Jesus was talking about the seed. Unless the seed dies, it won't bring forth the wheat. It won't bring forth what it's meant to, to bring forth. And sometimes there is a death in life. A death to our dreams. A death to our expectations. A death to what we think God should be. A, a death to how we think our life should be. And what God should be doing for us. These are all things that are going to happen. And they will be challenging. And you know you've walked for years. Many of you have walked for years with Christ. You know that there are t- things have happened where you went, wow. Wasn't expecting that. The end times is going to be full of that. And Jesus did in Matthew 24. He did his best to try to say, listen, don't get freaked out. 
Don't lose your faith. I'm showing you these signs so that you will know, as the Bible says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is saying when these things happen, look up. Don't look down in despair and disbelief, but look up. Your redemption draweth nigh, which means Christ is coming soon. Uh, There's an interesting uh, thing about oil and the flame, and I was thinking about in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And it's kind of what that oil and that flame is. It kind of represents the word of God. Have we put the word of God into us? Or is just the word of God something that we hear on Sunday and and that's it? Or are you taking a daily time to sit down, read scripture, ask the Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Talk to people, be in Bible studies and dig into that word. The word was not made so that it would just fall off the page and everybody would get it. It's not made that way. Jesus said that he spoke... The scriptures tell us that Jesus spoke to the people only in parables, which at times was even confounding for the disciples. And they'd have to talk to him later on and say, what were you talking about there? Like, What was that? And he'd explain it to them. And the reason being for that, and I, I don't want to get, get into another sermon, but the reason for that is that God wants people who are seeking him, that there is... There is a going after. There is a, what? What does this mean? Instead of just going, ah, yeah, I don't know, and just walk away. But he wants people who have a heart, who are seeking after him, who want to be close to him, who want to have him in their life. And it says, then God will open it up. He'll give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will start opening it it up to us. In verse 10, but while they were going to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Well, there's an unfortunate bit of timing. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. Those who were ready, they had made themselves ready. They had the oil. They had done the hard work. They have looked at the tough scriptures. They have talk to people, they've been at prayer meetings, they've gone to conferences, they've dug in with prayer and fasting. They had the oil in the lamp so that when the darkness of the night came and that midnight hour came, they were ready. They were ready for it. And the door was locked. They went in with him to the marriage feast. We talked about that. And the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling him, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Now, if Jesus was trying to, if Jesus was trying to start a worldwide movement based purely on human wisdom, speaking purely to humans and their selfish, natural nature that we do have, do you think he would have said that? I mean, that's tough. They had kind of, they worked there, they were in the church, and it seems like a small thing. They just didn't have enough oil. But this oil is very important, apparently, to Jesus because it represents relationship. It represents how much of Jesus is in you and how much of you is in Jesus. 
It represents relationship and that you had done the work and you would seek him and he would open himself up to you. And there was a deep relationship there. This is what the oil is all about. He said, believe me, I don't know you. That is rough. That is tough stuff. And, he, and remember, he's talking to the church here. I don't want to be I don't want to be hard and, and you know and oh, whip whip slash slash but my heavens if ever there was a time that we need to start digging into these tougher realities of scripture that there's more to the faith than coming to church and sitting with a coffee and just listening to a sermon and looking at your phone there's there's more to it than that and Why did he say, I don't know you? Because they never truly let Jesus into their life. They did not seek the deeper faith with God. That's exactly what it is. Or they would have had the oil. They would have been in those end times, and they would have been able to understand what was going on to a degree that they were not losing their faith. They would have been able to remember Matthew 24. They would have been able to remember Jesus saying, don't freak out. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. They would remember the scriptures from Psalms that says that the Lord will give us strength, that he will give us the ability to pull the bow. Tony and I were talking about that this week. Strength for the battle. He will strengthen us for the battle, that God will be our buckler, that we are carved on the palm of his hand, that when we see all these signs and wonders, that we don't lose the faith, that God is with us, that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and Paul saying that God will deliver us and he will continue to deliver us. Verse 13, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. That is what Jesus wanted them to hear out of that parable. Be ready. Be ready. And it's what we need to hear today. Then you go to the second parable, the parable of the three servants. And this is very interesting. I'm not going to go at length at this, but I do want to mention it because Jesus put this all together as a response to Matthew 24. So we, he's looking at the bridesmaids. He's saying, this is what the church will look like. There's going to be some wise bridesmaids and there's going to be some foolish ones. I'm letting you know this 2,000 years before it happens so you can make sure that you're part of the wise group and not the foolish group. And then the parable of the three servants which is talking about being committed to the job that Jesus left us here to do. And what he does, the parable is about this guy who comes, and he owns the land, and he has some workers and some servants, and he gives five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last guy, and says, go and make money for me. Go, I've given you these resources, go and do something with them. And if you read down, you will discover that, You know, the first guy who had the five bags did great. He turned it into ten, and it was a beautiful thing, and he was applauded. The next guy, he, you know, he multiplied his silver, and great. But the guy with one bag, he hid it in the ground because he was scared. Because he was scared of this master that he was serving. And it says... 
in verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Jesus, again, giving us pictures of what it's going to look like. He's going, he's going to come back and he's going to ask for an account of how we lived with what was given to us. What did we do with the information about Jesus? What did we do with the church that we were given? What did we do with the Bible we were given? What did we do with the absolute unimaginable amount of information resources we have around the Christian faith right now? What have we done with it? What have we done with our abilities and our gifts? What have we done with all of the wonderful things that God has shown us? These are the kinds of things that we should be thinking about right now. Are we using what God gave us to the fullness that we could be using them? And if we do, we will learn so much more about our relationship with God. We will learn so much more about him as we step out and take risks, as we step out and and do some of the dreams that we have, some of the inspirations that we get in prayer. As we step out and do that and we dare to believe God and start to see that, Hmm. God is with me, even when I can't feel it, even when it looks a little bit tricky, even when it looks a little bit scary, that I can take those steps. And what do you find out? That God is dependable. God is faithful. God is loving. God is just. God is our provider. God will give us strength. God will never leave us or or forsake us. These are the things that we learn as we start using what it is that God has given us, whether it be ideas or talents or spiritual gifts or whatever it is. So often we sit and do nothing. And that's what that last guy did. He he didn't trust the the servant, the, the master. He was scared of him because he didn't really know him. And he didn't really trust him. And he thought, no, I'm going to play this safe. I'm just going to bury mine, and I'll give it back to him. And if you know the end of this, the thing, it didn't turn out very good for him. Because we go on, but for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, Jesus just giving these blunt, blunt warnings to the church. And I mean, we can just say that's for somebody else, or we could just say, I don't know what that's talking about, and just go on to something nice. But the fact of the matter is, it's there. And he's basically saying, there's going to be an account given by us about what we have done. Not 10 years down the road, we got to start thinking about that now. And then the the final uh, parable that Jesus talked about was the final judgment, the sheep and the goats. Again, what did we do? Jesus is talking about the fact that when he comes, he's going to put the sheep on one side, the goats on the other. The sheep, as you read it through, and you can do that, as you read it through, they are people who went out and they fed the poor and they took care of those in prison, and they clothed those who needed clothing. Now, I'm not saying, Jesus was not saying there that you go out and do these things, and that means you're going to be saved, and you're going to be okay, and everything's fine. No, what he's talking about there is that their heart was willing to, if God asked them. Whatever it was that 
God wanted them to do. They were willing to do it. They did the sacrificial acts of caring and loving and giving. And if ever we are in a time where the world needs to see caring and loving and giving acts, it's right now. The world has turned into a very mean and a very hard place. And we've seen in this time of this pandemic, we've seen some wonderful acts of kindness and some wonderful uh, gestures of kindness and goodness and care being done, especially by our first responders and doctors and nurses who are willing to walk into situations that they very well may not walk out of. But what Christ is saying to us as the church, he's saying, this is your whole purpose for being on the earth. Yes, we go to work and pay our mortgage and get groceries and bring up our children. But fundamentally, our job is to be on this earth as a fragrance of love, a fragrance of kindness, a fragrance of forgiveness, a fragrance of giving and caring and reaching out into situations that maybe other people will not reach out into. And these sheep did that. And he said, it's interesting, Jesus said, you did it to me when you did it to the least of your brothers and that's very important he goes on to talk to the goats and he's saying you guys you never did this at all and they said what do you mean we never did it when did we ever see you jesus without clothes and hungry and all that and and right up in jesus face and jesus said well you didn't do it when you saw the least amongst you needing these things and you didn't respond And you know, that least is really important, isn't it? That's important because the least uh, may be the person that you enjoy the least. The person you like the least. The person you trust the least. It's very easy to love those who love us. And to give to people who are going to give us a nice pat on the back and they're going to say, gee, thanks for doing that. And and you're going to be able to be all happy about that. And that's good. Those are great times. Jesus is saying, what about these least people? What about these people who might throw it back in your face, your forgiveness? I remember seeing a documentary about Mother Teresa. And uh, some of you very well know who Mother Teresa is and uh, the angel of Calcutta, Um, and she went to Calcutta as a young um, nun and started these outreaches to take care of the poorest of the poor. And um, I saw in the documentary, here they have these lepers and people who they've literally picked up from the gutters and the streets of India and are trying to take care of them. Many of them have very severe mental problems, some very severe spiritual problems, and they're feeding them, and some of them are throwing the food on the floor. Uh, Some are hitting them. Some are being rude to them, and the sisters are just being kind and just cleaning up, and, and, you know. And I said, well, there's the other side of that story. And God is calling us to be kind to those who are not kind, to be loving to those who are not loving, to go and reach out that hand to people that maybe we don't trust and and to forgive those that maybe it's not easy to forgive. 
and maybe the forgiveness won't even be returned. It was just, I don't care, kind of a response. That does not mean that we do not forgive. And that does not mean that we don't react in a forgiving way. And these are the kinds of things that we need to look at in our life. Jesus has given us three parables here that are directly related to Matthew 24. He's telling us what the church is like and what it shouldn't be like. And what it should be like. And it is in a time that these signs of the times are happening. That's right now. I think Jesus is saying to the church right now, especially in the West, I think you need to review. I think you need to do a good review. Go from 24 to 25 and start doing the review. And God isn't doing a review and isn't causing us to look at ourselves and to analyze and to check ourselves out and and according to these things just because he wants us to feel bad about ourselves. Because I guarantee you, in some way, we are all walking in some version of this. Hopefully not a deep, ignorant version of it. But we always need to check ourselves. We always need to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and 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 look at us and allow him to look at us and speak to us about areas that need to be changed. And maybe that's what God's saying to you today. He wants some areas in your life to change, not because he just wants to be the, the harsh uh, principal who's just saying bad, bad, bad. It's a father who's saying, I want to help you. I want to take this thing away from you now So it won't be an issue of judgment later on. I want you to let me take this out of your life. I want you to give me this part of your life. I want you to be honest about this thing in your life. Because God loves you and he wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be strong. And he wants you to not carry the weights of these things as we enter into what is going to be, and I promise, one of the most challenging times for the church of Jesus Christ that the world's ever seen. Jesus actually said that it's going to be so bad. Now again, is this going to happen tomorrow? I don't think so. Is it going to happen 10 years from now? Is it going to happen? We don't know. But we do know that we have just crossed a threshold with this worldwide shaking that's going on. And that means something. The world just might think, oh, it's just another flu. They had the Spanish flu and they had this. And No, 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 no. There is a ramping up that's going on in the last 100 years and the last 20 years that prophetically from a scriptural point of view is unprecedented. And this pandemic is one of them. It's one of the indicators. And God is saying, I want you to be strong. I don't want you walking with a bunch of rocks in your knapsack, so to speak. Rocks being, you know, problems and undealt with issues and struggles and things. Because when we get into the the long haul here, that's going to get heavy. And God is saying, let me come and lighten your load. Jesus said, my yoke is is easy and my burden is light. And the reason that Jesus was able to say that is because he gave everything to the Father. There's a piece of scripture, and I'm paraphrasing it, that in uh, Hebrews, I believe it is, forgive me if I don't know the exact book, but they're talking about Jesus praying. 
And the writer says that through, in some translation, it says hollers or screams and deep, deep crying that Jesus became perfect. Now, Jesus was already perfect. But what they're talking about there is learning how to walk with his humanity because he took on humanity and he took on all of the stuff of humanity, jealousies and hatreds and angers and all that stuff that can come into us and rejections and sorrows and heartaches and desires and lusts. He took it all on freely, but he had to learn how to walk with it and he had to learn how to give it to the Father. That's why it said that he would go early in the morning and he would take off. And we'd go by himself and he'd pray because he knew that the day was coming and he needed to get this stuff off his back. He needed to learn his father's voice and his father's direction and his father's wisdom for how to walk through this. Jesus, it's very clear, scripture says he only did what he saw his father doing. And you don't see that without spending time with the father. And so as Jesus put the hard work in, he was able to then go out and walk with the authority and the freedom that that time, that hard work, the oil that costs something, gives us. And that's what God is saying this morning. I don't want to just uh, say, you failed here, and you failed here, and you're failing there, and you're failing there. That's not God's point. He's saying, I want you to win here. I want you to be strong here. I want you to be free here. I want you to be complete here. That's what God's saying. But we get so scared and we get so frightened and we think, oh, no, I can't, I can't say and I can't be honest about the way I'm feeling or the way I'm living because then God won't like me. God liked you before you were even born. God saw you, knew you, knew where you'd be born. Everything has a plan for your life, has a destiny that he wants you to live both here and with him in eternity. God loves you. God made you. God is your father, and he's my father. And I have learned over the years to trust God with my brokenness. I have learned that I can go to him and say, Father, I am really jealous right now, and I'm really upset that this person over here has got something that I really think I deserve, frankly. <laughs> or somebody else has had a success that I wish I had. And it, it happens to be able to go to God and just say, Dad, help me through this. Help me through that. Help me show how to walk with this. I know you forgive me. Show me how to be healed of this. Show me how I need to confess this and how I can repent of this and how I can bring the Holy Spirit in and cause me to walk above this. It's a wonderful piece of scripture that Jesus said that he's given us the power to walk over the enemy and every evil thing. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it takes some work. But that's God's intention. Those evil things, those bitternesses that are in us, those unforgiveness things that are in us that cause us to separate from people and not be able to talk to people and don't want to be around people and those remorses and those fed-ups that we get and we just kind of cross our arms and say, I'm not doing anything. We get like that. But God wants us not to get stuck. He wants us to be free. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. And the fact is, the works of the enemy are lies and deceptions, the provoking of us in our flesh, making us angry, resentful, unforgiving, and hurt. 
And sometimes we can hold on to hurt for a long time. God's speaking to us this morning because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be ready to walk the walk that we are going to be walking. He wants us to do it with freedom, and he wants us to do it with a good attitude, and he wants us to be able to be that light that is able to do kind acts and loving acts, uh, not from some embittered place of, of being told to do it and forced to do it, but a loving place of just passing on the love that God has given us to somebody else, passing on the forgiveness that God has given us to somebody else, and the good news. So I hope this spoke in some way. I hope it uh, gives some illumination. Um, Jesus gave us some very heavy stuff here. It's heavy, but it's good because it goes down deep in us goes down into that place that God wants to get in your life and in my life, wants to get down to where the truth is. So I'm going to pray. Father, I ask today that you would, by your Spirit and through your Word, go deep down inside today. And Father, right now as you bring to my mind things that you want me to give you, I do that right now, Father. I just hand it over to you. Some things I'm embarrassed by, some things I'm ashamed of, some things I'm disappointed about, and some things I just don't understand. But Father, I trust that you love me this morning and that you are a good, caring Father and that you are going to bring healing, you're going to bring direction, you're going to bring truth into these situations so that I know which way to walk and how to walk. So, Father, I thank you for that this morning. And Holy Spirit, just touch, touch us. Bring truth to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And if this is the first time this morning that you're hearing a message like this, I just want you to know that God loves you. And, uh, there will be some information at the end uh, that you'll be able to get in contact if you want. But I just want you to know that God loves you. And he wants to bring you into a place of incredible fullness, completeness, and I can say joy and happiness in him. It is possible. It is possible. So, have a great week. Uh, we will be uh, at our prayer meeting tonight. I'll send you, you already have the link for the Zoom if you'd like to join us. Uh, you can again get in contact. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight at 6.30 on Zoom. And isn't Zoom great? It's great. Like, we're going to be using this even after we're all able to gather. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff on Zoom. And uh, what a great uh, piece of technology. Uh, so uh, and if I don't see you tonight... Uh, remember, Tuesday, we'll have the Bible study, uh, 2 o'clock on Tuesday, and we'll be going into the fourth chapter of Romans, uh, looking at that. So have a great week, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Bye-bye.